0: This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, please send us an email at in-depthbibleteachings at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. As I was uh, looking at this, I was going to teach. uh, I wanted to actually go through the whole chapter 21, but this morning as I was looking at this, I was seeing that it's going to be impossible for me to look at this entire chapter uh, in the time allotted here this morning. So what I think I'm going to do is look at half of this chapter and then next week look at the second half. Uh, The second half of the chapter is usually, well I haven't heard much teaching concerning it, but it's usually related to the, a physical thing, and you understand as we go on. But I want to show you next week how this relates to the beginning and the middle part of this chapter. Now, if you relate to things in the natural, and that's how you think, that's what you see... And if you take the words in the scriptures, and many times Jesus will even uh, make a, a, an allegory, so to speak, or he will use an example of something in the natural to portray or try to show something that is going on in the spirit. Now, if you relate to the natural only, uh, and I don't mean you, I mean anyone, then you will miss what is trying to be said here. So, what I want to do is just begin to read these verses, and as we go down along the verses, I'll stop and and comment on some of the verses, and hopefully we'll be able to see that things many times are not what they appear to be. And in our walk as a Christian, many times what seems to be a certain thing a certain way, a certain type. We find out later as we move on with God and we walk with Him that what we saw and how we related was not quite correct. And so there are things even in the Bible that many times people take literally that are a figure of something else. And the thing that comes to mind right away is is the tabernacle. Now, Of course it was a, a physical thing, but remember that uh, the Lord told Moses to construct or to do everything according to the pattern shown him. Or, um, as it says, I believe in the New Testament, in Hebrews, it says, according to the heavenly pattern. So there was something else that the physical thing was related to. So let's just begin here uh, with verse 1, and hope, hopefully the Lord will help us Whenever I I come to Revelation, now I've never taught the book, but the first four chapters are are easy to to teach on, uh, where you see the churches and the Lord dealing with the churches and so on. But as you progress in the book, there's other things there that are cryptic, if you will. They're not easily understood. And then as you continue on in the book, uh, toward the latter chapters, 18, 19, 20, then you start to see something else appear and so on. But let's look at this and just start to read the verses. And this is John, of course, having the revelation from Jesus Christ or the revelation of Jesus Christ to him, to pen, to write down. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So God here changes everything that man is familiar with. All that we know and see here in a natural plane, God is going to change it all. So all these people who love the ocean and go down and get a condo on the sea because of the beauty of of the ocean and the waves and so forth, it says in the first verse that, the change that God's going to make is going to be so radical that we can't even relate to that in certain, certain times. And so all those that love the sea, that will be gone because God is going to change everything, everything. All that we see in the natural, uh, all that we even understand and know about the world, the universe, the sea, it's all going to be changed. To make way for something better. So right there, we have a hard time relating because we only know what we know and we only see what we see here. But God is going to change some things, radically change some things, and he begins in this chapter to bring forth what he has had in his heart, I believe, all along from from Genesis. You see glimpses of this in Isaiah, in different, different places in, in the New Testament. But he's going to describe something that God has been wanting to do. And he's going to show us a picture. And the picture's not going to be a physical picture. It's going to be a spiritual portrayal of what God is after and, and the fulfillment of that. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem... Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's a few words here. First of all, John sees the holy city, which is New Jerusalem. And then he says, coming down uh, from God out of heaven, prepared. Now this word prepared is a passive participle. This is something that God has been preparing. And the, the passive uh, voice means that the Lord is the one who has been doing this work. So he's involved. He's been involved in doing something here. He is preparing this particular thing, which we'll look at in a minute. He's making a preparation. It says, as a a bride adorned for her husband. Now, turn to Matthew 25, because I want to show you uh, this word here, adorned, used in another verse in the Bible, Matthew 25. Now, this is dealing with, we know this, this portion of Scripture, with the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. In verse seven, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. This is the same word we're seeing here in Revelation. So there is a preparation that is to be made. And we know that in chapter 25 here with the virgins, that five did not make certain preparations. Five made the correct preparation. And those were the ones that went in and and the Lord closed the door. Those were the ones that came in and were going to be with him and and enter into this, this relationship that he desires. So back in Revelation, so John sees the new Jerusalem descending. Now right away when we see this, we relate to the natural. Most Christians will relate to the natural. And they will say that this is a physical building, a physical city related to what we know and see in the natural. Verse 3. Well, let me look at one verse here, Romans 9. I'll just read this real quick. And he that he might make known the riches of his glory. See the preparation in Matthew and what we see in Revelation. Okay, the preparation here is going to be shared by those who qualify or God's glory is going to be seen by The prepared ones. So that if you are being a prepared one, now how do you become a prepared one? As the Lord works in your heart and your life, and you surrender to Him, He prepares you. You see that the glory of God is where? Somebody tell me where the glory of God is. Have it where else? Where does the Bible say the glory of God is? Yes, with men. Romans 9 23 and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared unto glory. See, he has prepared you unto glory, even us whom he hath called. Now, this is in the subjunctive mood. I'm probably going a little too deep here for some of you, but the possibility exists that some will have the glory of God, others will not have the glory of God, that will qualify them for what we're seeing in Revelation. Now, let's go to verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. So that this is a desire of God, it always has been a desire of God, that He would dwell with men. Now, this word here, with, is the Greek word meta, M-E-T-A. And I want to show you one other place it's used in 2 Corinthians 6. Now, I'm I'm kind of building here to get where I want to get, but just stay with me. 2 Corinthians 6, 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. So the same word here, with, is the same Greek word. And it's talking about you becoming as the world, your heart being as the world. What business has the Christian, them being, or their heart being with those who are in the world? And then he goes on and says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Same word, with. And so the word there means in the midst of, uh, the word means toward, it's emotion toward, so that our heart, the Christian's heart, can have a, a motion toward or a direction toward the world. So Paul is saying that that is not to be the direction, rather it is to be toward God, or that God would be with you or in the midst of you. John says it this way. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And then he adds, he shall be in you. God, as you know, the Spirit of God, dwells in you. If you are a Christian, he dwells in you. Now that is the beginning, I believe, of what God wants to do. Now I'll go back in Revelation. The thought here is that God wants to make man his habitation. That's the thought. So all that we deal with, all the difficulties, the troubles, the problems, God is going to inhabit us. He is going to work through all these different things in your life and my life to work certain things into us and to become you, become a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall no more be death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. That's really good. uh, A great time to look forward to. No more pain, no more suffering, uh, no more tears and the like. So God's going to change all that. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And that means everything, every kind, all probably all created things will be changed in some way. Everything. Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Now, he's giving here. This giving is based upon thirst. That is the same today for you and I. God can give to you based upon your thirst. So that as you thirst for him, he is able to give you certain things. Those who do not thirst for him, he cannot give certain things. So that as you walk as a believer, you are to have this heart that is thirsting after him. And now even here at this point, there is to still be a thirst in us. There should be a thirst in you that should have been created when you first came to the Lord... Should have been maintained your entire Christian life, a thirst for Him, carried over after this life, and as we move on with the Lord, still having that thirst. This is, this is a basic thing, something that God puts in us that has to be um, nurtured, that will bring certain things of God to you without a thirst for Him, certain things he cannot bring to you as a Christian. He can't work a certain way. He can't do a certain thing. He can't do what he wants to do because there's no thirst. So, so we need to actually look in our lives and say, Lord, is there a thirst for you? And, and, and check that. Verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, in this verse here, inheritance is based upon overcoming. The the mature son inherits. This word here, overcome, if you would study the Greek word in the New Testament, you'll see it used like once in the Gospels, a couple times in Romans. It's used mainly by John. And if you look at the churches in the beginning of Revelation, you will see that every single church, Jesus says this to them, that they are to overcome. But the funny thing is, it doesn't say what you're to overcome. It says to overcome, but he doesn't spell out, you know, what you are to overcome. It says, if you overcome, you'll receive this, you'll get this, and so on and so forth. But what is it that we as Christians are to overcome? Your first thought may be, well, the devil, overcome in your present situation. But I believe there is something else here that is more foundational. And that overcoming is that you are to overcome, and I are to overcome the flesh. We are to overcome the soul or our mind, our thinking. When our thinking wants to take us here or our thinking wants to, to move us in a certain way, there is to be an overcoming so that our spirits become in us what dominates our being, not our, our flesh where we do do this and we do that, you know, and, and move in our flesh. Not our soul or our mind or our thinking that we just go off and you know, whatever we, we think, we, we do. But the overcoming is to be that, that we are dominated by our spirit or we will to do the will of God. And now because we will to do the will of God, that we will have our spirit dominating us and we become overcomers in heart, in, in our life, in our spirit. See, not that we overcome this, this, or this, but that is a characteristic that is in the heart of the Christian, that they are being influenced by their spirit, if you understand what I'm saying. So no more are your emotions dictating to you. No more is the flesh dictating to you. Now the spirit, your spirit, being moved by the Holy Spirit dictates to you, or, or, you know, is the dominating thing there in your life. So that, I believe, for all the churches was the, was the thing, and as well as it is for us, that, that we are overcomers, that it's a characteristic in us. See, Jesus did not move according to the flesh, he did not move according to the mind, the soul, but the spirit was influenced by the Father and he moved. And so we want to be overcomers like Christ. And, and to overcome, uh, as he says here, that must take place in our life. He that overcometh shall inherit. you will be brought into certain things. Certain things will be yours. Now, if you compare verse 6 and verse 7 for a minute, verse 6 talks about something basic, thirst. Verse 7 talks about overcoming, which is something... Uh, deeper, Verse 7 is moving deeper. But see, you have to thirst. There's a beginning point. There's always a beginning point for us. Somewhere where God you know, has to start building. And, and your thirst will be that particular thing that will help you to, to move with God and cooperate with Him as He builds in your life. So that will bring us down to overcoming. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable... And murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So all those hindering things that we experience here on earth, all that now will be moved aside. All the sin, all that which, which is a weight and hinders the, Christ, the Christian, In this setting, it's all pushed aside. It's all taken out of the way now. That's a thing of the past. That which we had to deal with, the sin in in this life, has hopefully worked something into the Christian. Something has has been done in their life through that. Not not the partaking of it, but the resisting and overcoming sin. See that now this is taken out of the way. So he goes on and he says, verse 9. Now follow, follow me here in your Bibles when we, we come to these next couple of verses. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither or come here, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. So the angel is coming to John and he's going to... To show him the bride or the lamb's wife. Same thing. He's going to show him. Now, verse 9 is the pivotal verse in this entire chapter. If you do not see and understand verse 9, if that's not in your, your thinking here as you're reading this, you're going to miss what he's trying to show throughout this chapter. The beginning part and the end. And and you will will never, ever understand what's going on. So the angel now is going to show John the bride. Now in verse 2, coming back to that, he shows him the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, same thought as we're seeing in verse 9. Same thought. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city, the Holy Jerusalem, descend- descending out of heaven from God. Now, in verse 10, is he showing John the bride or is he showing John the New Jerusalem? He's showing him both. He's showing him both. The new Jerusalem, as it says here, I believe is what what it says in verse 9, the bride of Christ. He's going to take him away and show him the bride, and then he takes him and he shows him the holy city, new Jerusalem, one and the same. Verse 21 of chapter 3 says this. See, it's hard for Christians to relate to this portion of Scripture and not think of some physical building or city. When they see this and relate to it, they're seeing this actual city like Jerusalem, but changed, coming down from heaven. But John says that that this is the bride, In chapter 3, verse 12, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of God. Does that mean he's going to make all those that overcome a physical pillar? No, we don't interpret it that way, do we? He's not going to make them a physical stone. See, he's going to make them a pillar in the temple of God. And he goes on in that verse, and he shall go... No more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Go back to Revelation 21. So he sees the bride or New Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. having The word having there means to possess or to hold the glory of God. Now let me ask you this. Can a Christian possess the glory of God? Yeah, the Bible teaches that. And I want to look at a couple verses. But remember here, when he's saying having the glory of God, going back to verse 2, he's not talking about a physical building. Nowhere in this chapter thus far is he talking about a physical building. Even when he says, look in verse 4, I shall wipe away the tears from their eyes. He's not talking about a physical building. He's not going in verse 2 and talking about a physical building, and in verse 3 he's talking about people. And then he's, now he's going to switch back now in verse 10 to a physical building. No, the, the, the whole thing here is moving along the same line. It's talking about the same thing. The Lord is in, interested in becoming all and in all... He wants the bride to be his habitation, his dwelling place. In 2 Corinthians, turn there with me, chapter 5. Now, when the church, the word church is used in the New Testament, do you think of a church building? No, we don't relate to that that way. The church is, is people talking about Christians, the church, not a physical building. When Paul talks about the church, he's not talking about a physical building. Okay, So we we get that, the word church. We, We understand that. Now, when the bride is mentioned in the Bible, do you think of a building, a physical building? No. You think of the bride of Christ being individuals. But now when you come to the New Jerusalem... And you see that word, Jerusalem, New Jer- people relate to a physical building. But that's not the case either. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that, our earthly house of this, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. Now, the earthly tabernacle is talking about your body. And he says, we have a building of God... And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, he's not talking about a physical building again. See, This is all through the Bible, especially the New Testament. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. He's talking about uh, our new bodies. Not talking about a physical building, a physical house. Turn to... Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 6, this is when Solomon dedicates the temple and, and he's praying and the Lord is inspiring his prayer and, and moving his lips, I believe. Verse 18, But will God in, in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. So, so God was not interested in dwelling in a physical house. Now, he did come and manifest his presence in the tabernacle. And he, he did come and manifest his presence in uh, the temple that Solomon built. But that was not what God is, is, is working toward. That's not what he is looking for for a, a fulfillment. See, he, He's looking for something more. Turn to Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house, or where is, that word is habitation, that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor. He's talking. He's, he's saying here, as far as my, my having a habitation, uh, it's not going to be in what you can build with your hands. I'm going to look for a different place for my habitation. I will look even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So so that is something in the Old Testament that God was looking toward, that man would be his habitation. Now turn to Isaiah 57, a couple chapters before this. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. See, so once again you see that the Lord is not desiring to dwell in a house or a temple built by man. His ultimate goal or purpose is to be a habitation and to, to have you and I uh, become his habitation. John, I believe it's John 14. Let me just read it real quick. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So you see, God is interested in being in you, with you and in you. And that's what we're seeing in Isaiah, where this is something that has been on the heart of God all along to make man his habitation, to make uh, the bride, if you will, his habitation. Now, back in Revelation, in Acts, let me read a couple more verses. Acts 17, 24 says, God that made the world, this is Paul, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And in Ezekiel, I just read this last night, and I I, I don't know if I... I must have read this before, and you know how you read things and they don't really sink in? You don't see it? You read it, but you really don't see it? But Ezekiel describes this. uh, I believe he's describing the new Jerusalem here in Ezekiel 48. And it says, The name of the city will no longer be Jerusalem, but the name of the city will be the Lord is there. That's what it says. The name of the city will be, the Lord is there. See, that's, that's the habitation. In Ephesians, we're going to go back to, to Revelation in a minute, but go to Ephesians. Now, these are a lot of these scriptures we know and we've read them, but I don't know if we have seen them in the light of what we're seeing in, in New Jerusalem in Revelation 21. Ephesians 2.22 in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, Paul hits the nail on the head. Paul saw this, and uh, he, he says that to the church in Ephesus, that you are built together. See, he's using uh, a term that people would relate to the natural, as you build a building, okay, you build a structure. But he's relating this to people. He's relating this to the church. In whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God. God is interested in you becoming a habitation for him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And I'm reading these scriptures to show you this is throughout the whole New Testament, this thought to whom coming as unto a living stone. Now, when he's talking about a living stone, he's talking about a physical stone? No. He's talking about the Lord. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also are lively or living stones, are built up a spiritual house. Not a physical thing. A spiritual house. And holy priesthood, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that once again... You see Paul, now here you see Peter, all pointing toward this thought of, of you becoming the habitation of God, all flowing together with what we're seeing in Revelation. In 1 John, let me read this. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. So you have, you know, uh, you dwelling in God, God dwelling in you. Same, same thing. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Now back in Revelation. So verse 9, he shows John the bride, the lamb's wife. Verse 10, he shows him the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. He is showing him there the bride having the glory of of God, possessing in them the glory of God. And her light, now now her there, I, I'm, I'm sure this is a personal pronoun, speaking about the bride. Her light was like unto a stone, so we just read scriptures dealing with a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the thought here is, once again, that God indwells the bride. The bride becomes the habitation of God. Those that are a part of the bride, those who have qualified in that position, God will be their habitation. And that's what John sees here, descending out of heaven. Not a physical building, but something that was built in spirit so that, if we could just get a hold of this, that God today is working in the lives of Christians who thirst, those who are cooperating with Him, He is working in their lives to put certain characteristics in them that will qualify them to be a habitation or to be a part of the bride. Now I this morning was looking at the Song of Solomon, and I I saw a lot of things there that actually were fitting together with Revelation 21, uh, dealing with the preparation of the bride. You know, those that were, were prepared. Remember in Matthew 25, all ten were virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish, five It's not that they—they—they—it's not dealing with being watchful. It's dealing with being ready. Five were ready, five were not. And so, as as we allow the Lord to work in our lives, to do what He wants in our heart, that brings us to hopefully a fulfillment. It brings us into this place where we are being prepared. Just like we're seeing here in Revelation where, where the bride is prepared. She just doesn't show up. People, Christians who think that they can just live their life anyway and that they're going to qualify in certain, these certain things are, are just missing it. They're going to be surprised. See, there must be a preparation in the heart and life of those who will be a, a part of the bride of Christ. And so John here sees this city coming down. That's how, that's how he relates to it. But he sees something descending. And the angel showing him that this is the bride's wife. This is New Jerusalem. Not the physical Jerusalem that, that is over in the Middle East. But there's going to be great changes, as I said in the beginning. God's going to change everything. And, and so he sees this. He, he catches a glimpse of the bride descending And the bride carrying or holding, having, the glory of God. Having the glory of God worked into the the individuals that compose the bride by the work of God. Are you getting this? I hope. I can't make it any clearer. But let me try to bottom line this for you. How does this relate to you and I? Well... We need to have a surrender today as a Christian, surrendering to God, surrendering to His will, surrendering to His ways, so that He can work and do in us what He wills, putting certain characteristics of Jesus Christ in us. See, we look in Galatians and we see the uh, the fruit of the Spirit. See, that's to be in you. There's some Christians that don't have much of that at all. So the Lord wants to work in our lives to to prepare us so that we can actually become what He wants us to become and move into this fulfillment that God has, has wanted all along, as we saw in Isaiah and in the New Testament, where He would be the habitation of the bride. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me. So, I mean, whatever it takes in our lives, are we willing to submit and surrender to that? Well, that will help us if we can to qualify in whatever place that he wants uh, for you and I. But, it is important to allow him to have his way and his, his will in our life so that he can, can do in us what he wants, so that we can be a part of what we, we probably never dreamt we could be a part of. But it's not going to come by just walking our own way and, and living in sin. So th- there is a great incentive here for the Christian, a great incentive to walk with God. And I hope that I was able to to open this up a little bit for you. We're going to stop, but as you continue on in this chapter, it's very easy to lose the thought that he's talking about the Holy Jerusalem. It's very easy to lose the thought he's talking about the Bride of Christ, especially when you start to look at the 12 gates and the 12 foundations and the different pearls and all these different things, the street of gold. Remember that John is using a physical thing, a physical word, to portray a spiritual truth. So uh, as you continue to read that, remember that he's not talking about a physical building or a physical city. Okay, let's, let's stop there. Scripture.